Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Movement as Medicine podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Carr, along with my co-host, um, all the way in California, Brendan Rierick. While I come to you from Amsterdam, so I've moved. I was going to say, you're not going to tell everyone I'm, I was, I want to where you're coming you from? First. Um, I'm coming from, oh, I went you. from Dubai, and now I'm in Amsterdam before I go to Breda tomorrow to teach CFSC Level 1 and CFSC Level 2. So that's why I have this actually cool studio. I think it's actually probably better than our normal setup. Um, because I just took this little conference room at the hotel and they have this nice little display. They have free coffee and free water. Um, and it's nice and quiet. Nothing's here. free, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, I paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> you paid a but lot. You better believe it. I'm going to get my money's worth. Fair enough. Yeah. It's like, uh, like when you're flying on a plane and you get free snacks and free drinks. It's actually impressive. We've coordinated. Uh, the, the podcast the last two weeks, despite the time difference. So it's, uh, and we'll get one more in this week, I think too. Well, yeah, that, and, uh, we were so busy when we were both in America that we couldn't get a podcast in, but here you are in a different country and somehow we're going to get in three podcasts. So, well, I've been much, I've actually been much more productive since I've been gone than when I'm home because I don't have clients all day. I don't have to do stuff around my house all day. So I still get up True. fairly early and I exercise and exercise every day because I'm naturally like at a gym wow. and I've done a lot of work uh, on the business as opposed to just in the business because I've been away. So it's actually a nice kind of eye opener on how I'd like to manage my time more. <laughs> so I've actually been more productive there you go. about the other things I do. Um, because I don't Sounds have all like the competing demands. Yeah, I know, right? Don't spend too much time working in your business when you can be working on your business. Yeah, just leave your business for two weeks and go to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that's, what they meant by that's that. That's the lesson uh, that you learned. So... Um, but no, this is going to be a good episode. So, um, I mean, if you looked in the news recently, um, there's recently been a lawsuit brought against uh, the University of Oregon and the NCAA, um, off, uh, you know, alleging and looking for damages for lifelong injuries from specifically from an offensive lineman from the football team who suffered from rhabdomyolysis in 2017. This popped up back then. Um, but the lawsuit, the class action lawsuit, which is just starting now. Um, and what's, how much is he seeking over a hundred million dollars? Over $100 million. Yes. For, uh, damages. And I mean, if anybody actually pays attention to collegiate strength conditioning or collegiate football, you've probably no doubt seen the strength conditioning facilities at the university of Oregon, um, world-class, probably like the best in the world because Nike essentially pays for everything there. Um, and despite that, uh, the lawsuit at least alleges that strength conditioning coach there doesn't have any professional certification whatsoever, which is extremely interesting given the amount of money they put into facilities there that they would not also put the same prioritization over the people that work in those facilities. Um, so that does not look good for the University of Oregon or the NCAA. Um, mainly because I think to be a collegiate strength coach, you have to have a CSCS. Like that's a hiring requirement. So if that's the truth, then then they're not off to a good start in the lawsuits to begin with. <laughs> no, no, they are not. Uh, they the one caveat to the lawsuit that they do have on their side is that he did come back to finish the rest of his football career and play and graduate from the University of Oregon. So that is their uh, claim, but. Uh, and you and I just did some quick research on this, that there is with when you get something like Rabdo, there is a long term effect to that. And in his lawsuit, he is claiming that the effect of what happened due to their negligence, which was basically they had uh, the athletes first day of spring football or first day of training they did hundreds and hundreds of push-ups and burpees and up downs basically until everybody was vomiting and sick and they were not allowed to drink water 
And when they asked for water, the next day they brought oxygen masks to the workout instead of uh, <laughs> don't admitting change that the workout was too hard. <laughs> yeah, well, change. Uh, you don't need water. You just need oxygen. Um, yeah, don't change your approach. And just treat he, them like they're in uh, ICU. You give them oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> and he is claiming that due to the rhabdo, I believe there was four or four to six other players who also got rhabdo, but this gentleman had the most severe case that it took 10 years off of his life uh, due to the kidney damage. And you and I actually went and looked that up because you're like, well, is that true? And uh, the research supports that you lose life expectancy after a severe case of rhabdo. Yeah. Um, Let's back it up real quick. Which lends you that don't know what rhabdo is or rhabdomyolysis is. Um, Rhabdomyolysis is a muscular disorder. usually happens which does happen with overexertion of exercise where leakage of skeletal muscle contents leak into circulation. That's a problem because if they leak into circulation, they go through your kidneys and your kidneys can't process them. So they essentially cause your kidneys renal failure acutely and damage your kidneys. And rhabdo, um, the only I remember learning what rhabdo was solely because of CrossFit. Um, because there was a lot of yeah, cases this is the first time I heard of it. getting rhabdo. They even had, they had a mascot, remember? They had rhabdo the clown. It was like early on, that was like their, like, yeah. they had like rhabdo and pukey or something were like their, their mascots, but then they were smart enough to do away with that. Um, but yeah. to your, when you said that his claim was, oh, I've lost life expectancy or quality of life from you, there is some research to show that severe rhabdomyolysis, when they look at, the myoglobin levels at admission into the hospital, um, like how high they are, they're directly correlated with long-term renal decline. So uh, how well your kidneys do as you age. I mean, you think about it, it's a huge stressor. Um, so, I mean, yeah. I'm looking at the paper right now. Um, and so that's problematic. <laughs> uh, it's problematic for the, the poor guy, but it's also problematic for the lawsuit yeah. as far as the University of Oregon goes. Um, because that's that's tough. And to your point of him returning to the team, um, yeah. that also doesn't negate the fact that this did happen and he has a long-term effect whether or not he still right. participated. So, I mean, he, this guy's walking away with some money in some, in some case, uh, whether they settle or it goes yeah, all the way And deservedly so. Oh, they, yeah. they were, in, in our opinion, they, they were negligent. They did not have a professional working there and they did not follow all protocols and they hurt somebody, which is so to that point is this is what brings on our discussion today. Should uh, conditioning be used as punishment and should conditioning be used as a way to vet out uh, certain individuals, which is very very common in the military but uh remember these are not marines these are not uh seals these are not uh military uh type these these are athletes who are you're spending that hundreds of thousands of dollars on uh based off of scholarships and it is is vetting them out like so uh a proper way to move forward with conditioning. Yeah. So conditioning for punishment and conditioning for vetting purposes is the uh, the impetus of well, this article and this lawsuit was the impetus for this podcast and for our discussion today. Yeah, and even before we get into like the long conversation about training and mental toughness, two things for us to touch on I think would be good. One... I mean, it yeah. underlines the importance of hiring people who are professionals, whether you're at the high school level, whether you're the collegiate level, whether you're at the professional level, you hope at the professional level to hire professionals, but you never know. Um, because, I mean, this is just like old school approach to training. You know, how many times this, thing, this stuff probably happened and no one ever knew about it in a lot of settings over the course of the years. But this problem, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but maybe this individual was hired. Um, maybe he's a former player. I don't know. I didn't actually look into uh, the strength coach that was implicated, but um, whether that's why he was brought on and he just kind of slid into that role, which happens a lot in football strength conditioning, especially. Um, and then a more important question, Brendan, is okay. 
for a hundred million dollars, how many burpees would you do consistent consecutively? Because yeah, that's a lot of money. Now, no, no way do I ever wish this to happen to somebody, but I might consider doing no. a large amount of burpees. <laughs> if I could potentially have a hundred million dollars. Yes. So we, we, <laughs> We talked about asking this question uh, before we got on here. Uh, it brought a few chuckles. Uh, no, it, I would do a lot of burpees for $100 million. Uh, <laughs> would I take a mild case of rhabdo that I was going to re- re- recover in two to three days and have no long-term consequences for $100 million? Yes. To take 10 years off my life? Uh, do we know it's not. 10 years? That might be a stretch. Um, that might be hyperbole. Well, Okay. Okay, it's it say okay, well for the sake how of how many this years question, would you sacrifice? Right, so, how many years of your life would you sacrifice for a hundred million dollars? For a hundred million dollars, uh, I think it would have to be less than five. Probably not ten. Fair. Oh yeah, ten is too much. I think my over my over under would be five. Yeah. So I think that's just a good throwing that line to set. Now that <laughs> Now, does that make that right? No, um, but it is a good thought uh, experiment. How much? Uh, <laughs> how many years would you give up for a hundred million dollars? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but getting into the larger but, discussion, this does bring on a good question, especially as it applies to things like American football. This seems to be the most prevalent. You don't really see this in basketball yeah. or soccer or like these other sports. But American football, where strength conditioning is beloved to begin with is it's very common for coaches, also the football coaches, not just the performance specialists, to try to apply, especially in preseason, like this uh, individual, um, strength conditioning uh, workouts um, to develop mental toughness, um, to try to discipline players when they make mistakes or they're late. Um, And that's such a football thing, um, but it's pervasive in a lot of strength conditioning, um, and it's problematic because... Uh, I think you and I both agree pretty wholeheartedly that it doesn't make people tougher, but especially judging from this case, it can have pretty serious consequences. And it doesn't usually make people change their behavior either <laughs> if you're using it as punishment. Um, and this isn't just to say that conditioning is the only way you can injure somebody like this. Like you can get rhabdo from it's your first day in the gym. Let's do uh, let's try to do as many chin-ups as possible so you can't move your arms tomorrow. Um, that's that's another way. So it doesn't just have to be running and conditioning. It can also be uh, the workout that you put them through with, with weights. Um, so that's mm-hmm. also something. So it's not just like American football. It could happen, hey, you have an athlete that comes in for the first day and you throw them in a group of people who have been training for the last six months and that person is not prepared for that and they could get injured or get rhabdo and whose fault is that that's your fault you told them to do it it was your program and it can lead to lawsuits like this yeah and i've even heard things like that happen under the guise of team building right i know of an example of an athlete yeah um, that was working and they had the team together and they said we're going to do this team building exercise so we're going to blindfold a player and they're in a room with a bunch of objects so already a bad start and the rest of the team is on the other side and they have to collectively get the person to the other side of the room um via instructions um and what happened to this player who was a very good player um they ran into an object, I think it's a bench, and they suffered a, a knee injury, a pretty consequential knee injury. Um, but it was because they were like, we're trying to get them to work together and develop teamwork. So we're going to put them in direct physical harm and potentially uh, sacrifice this player's health. Um, so and it's not so it's not always even physical exertion. Sometimes it's just doing dumb things like trying to do uh, have them participate in tasks that you apparently don't see the potential downside in. Um, and so again, it's like you mentioned, I think you hit the nail on the head and I know we're going to get to this is that it doesn't change behaviors. They usually select activities that don't have an impact on their behaviors long-term and don't actually get them anywhere near what they claim it's for, but it's more just because they have nostalgia over these activities that they've either done themselves in the past 
or they have seen on mm -hmm. some Navy SEAL uh, TV show, and they think that they can apply those same concepts to um, team sports. Yeah. So, do you do you want to start with? We can start with the punishment piece, or we can start with the mental toughness piece. Let's go with mental toughness because we can kind of take that right into okay. uh, using it as a punitive measure. Right into using as punishment. Okay. Uh, so my my personal uh, favorite uh, resource for this information is Doug Kajijian of Resilient uh, Performance Physical Therapy. Uh, Doug has done uh, an amazing webinar. He has also written a couple articles, which I will put all in the show notes. Uh, and Doug, to give you a little bit of background on him, he was a pararescue, uh, right? Pararescue for yeah, I pararescue. 14 years, I believe it was. Army, Army pararescue mm -hmm. for 14 years. So uh, he's done the military thing. He's done buds. He's done all this stuff. And he also now has over the last, I don't know how many years been running a performance facility for uh, a private performance facility. So he's seen both sides. Um, I mean, I've read and heard everything about buds and military and psychology regarding those things, but you and I have never experienced, whereas Doug has. Um, and that's why I really, really like to listen to him talk about it um, and its implications for where it does work for performance and where it does not work for performance and athletes, right? And so performance is all relative. So performance in the military is different than performance uh, in the gym and performance on the field. Um, in sport. So Doug is one of my favorite people to follow. And after this, this happened actually in 2016. So I remember I, I made a post about this. I believe it was on Facebook with my opinions on what I thought about this happening. Um, and I, I had it, I got it from both sides. Actually, I had comments of people telling me, well, the athletes should have been more prepared. It's the athlete's fault for not being prepared for the physical training, right? And so what about the other 80 athletes who didn't get rhabdo, right? So, all right, so there's that side of the story. I had people who were agreeing with me on my side, which was you should never do it, and it's the coach's fault. Um, and then I had – there were people who were in the middle, right? So this is a very um, interesting topic. So I wrote an article about it, and – I, the name of the article was mental toughness is finding the good in everything. And I actually heard that on, I used to listen to Jocko Willick's, Willick's uh, podcast when it first came out. I don't listen to it anymore, but I was a big Jocko fan. I had read his book. Um, what is it? The dichotomy of leadership. I can't remember. Oh, it's extreme ownership. Extreme Ownership was his book, and I loved his stuff. I listened to his podcast, and the first episode, he talks about how mental toughness is finding the good in everything. And I was like, that's that's exactly what I needed to hear because the or, or the kind of mindset that I wanted to take on and perpetuate as a strength coach is that mental toughness is not being able to physically survive carrying a log over my shoulder or that you can deadlift 405 for 10 or that you can jump this high of a vertical and dunk a basketball, right? Those are physical traits, but they are not uh, what makes you mentally tough. So I, I listened to a lot of Doug's stuff. I listened to a lot of Jocko's stuff and I wrote this article that I will put in the show notes that's finding mental toughness is finding the good in everything. And mental toughness for me comes down to really th three things. So number one, can you reframe the thing that happened to you? So this comes from kind of Carol Dweck's book, Mindset. So do you take the fixed mindset approach or do you take the, the proactive mindset approach? So uh, I broke my leg. So yeah, you're, it's going to suck. It sucks to break your leg. You're going to be pissed off about it. You're going to probably be miserable about it for a couple of days. But how can I reframe that and say like, okay, I broke my leg. That gives me more time to work on my upper body and 
my left leg and it's going to give me some time off and perspective. I can work on other skills. Uh, I'm going to get more rest. I can sleep more at night. Like what, like how can we reframe this horrible thing that happened to you into some sort of positive, right? So changing our mindset about the situation that to me is mentally, that's mental toughness. That's stoicism Uh, in a nutshell right there. Stoicism in a nutshell. So number two is, and I got this stuff, the next two from, from Doug and his research and his experience is preparation and consistency. Now being prepared for all the things that can happen to you puts you in a certain mindset so that you're not reactive, you're proactive. Um, and so when you get and, and mental toughness is really comes down to pressure. So when you get into a pressure situation where you have to make a snap judgment or when everybody else, it's, there's pure chaos and everyone else is freaking out, but you can take a deep breath and you're calm and you can make a best decision because you were prepared for all scenarios. That's where we look at that person. We're like, oh man, that person is mentally tough, right? So it wasn't any physical trait that they had. It was a mindset and a reaction that they had because they were so prepared for the event beforehand. Uh, And then the last one is consistency. So when I do, and consistency goes hand in hand with preparedness. So the way you become prepared for something is to, to be, do it consistently. And when, so that's when we see like the, right, like, I can't believe that person did that under that situation. And it was due to the way they've reframed all of their mistakes and failures and the preparation and consistency that they, they had or done before the event ever happened. Okay. So that's how you would develop mental toughness. Now, yes, some people are probably pre uh, predisposed or genetically uh, has some sort of uh, predisposition to being more, whatever we call mentally tough. Right. Um, But it isn't, it isn't necessarily like how, how much you can do of something or how much better I am at something than you are. Uh, It's, can you reframe it? Are you prepared for it? And do you do it consistently enough that, right? Like Tom Brady, for example, I know I'm, I'm always going to use Tommy as my examples. Uh, but like he wins, you know, he comes back and wins a game one time, right? That doesn't make you mentally tough, but you do it 47 times in your career. That's a pretty good consistent uh, track record um, of someone we would consider clutch, right? There's lots of different words you can use for this. You can use, he's a clutch a- uh, athlete. Um, she's mentally tough. Uh, there's just like all sorts of words that we use to explain the same thing. Um, so to me, that is mental toughness and how you would, um, train or how you would cultivate mental toughness. And I know, uh, you wrote an article or a post a long time ago as well, but more on the end of like how you use exercise or don't use exercise for mental toughness. Well, it's funny because like, I think that's so closely related because when you hear coaches talk about building mental toughness, it's because they want people to finish the play or they want them to stay tough to the end of a game or they want them to do the hard things when they're supposed to. Right. Um, and I think that really just speaks to a team culture. And when you frame it in the framework of it being a team culture, uh, the mirror actually shines right back on the coach because it's their responsibility to create a culture where people are continually doing the right thing, even when it's the hard thing. Um, and what you said about, um, about, uh, specifically, you know, saying that, you know, these people need to think about the good in everything, right? They need to focus on the why, on the positive side, not on the negative side, right? When people um, feel bad for themselves, it's always like, why me, why me, why me? As opposed to why can I use, or why did this happen to me? How can I use this as an opportunity to get better, right? Um, and again, that speaks to culture. Like 
you, the, the goal is to create a culture where everyone knows you're supposed to do the next right thing, right? Um, and what's that quote where they say, um, he who has a why can endure any how, right? So if you're connected yeah. to yeah, what Victor it is that Frankel. you believe in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man's search for meeting, which, I mean, I, if I was trying to Man's build a search for meeting of mental toughness, I would just give all my players that book and make them read it. Um, yeah. right. <laughs> and then everything else won't seem so hard to you anymore. Um, anytime I feel bad for myself, <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, let me flip this one open uh, <laughs> and I'll feel yeah, perspective. But and, perspective, uh, perspective can build mental toughness. Yeah. When, it, when you have that... If you create a culture right. of accountability in a culture where that is the norm and the leaders, the captains, the coaches all demonstrate that, then the behavior down the chain changes, right? And so the quote, the, the post that I had put up was actually a quote from a podcast I did with Jared um, from Australia, former MBSC intern. Um, and I think yeah. we were talking yeah. specifically about this. It was right after this had happened. So I think it was 2017 um, that the incident happened. And so what I had said is I'll just read it um, is you don't build mental toughness by burying kids with one particular three hour workout. That's just punishment. I think you build mental toughness by building a consistent culture of character and discipline, like show up on time, put your weights away, like to people, put your sheets away, help everyone else in the gym, show up to class when you're supposed to, that's how you build mental toughness by building a consistent culture because it helps people understand you have to have discipline and meet expectations. And that carries over to being on the field in the classroom or at home um, with your family. It's not something you do proactively. It's something you do reactively. Um, it's not, I mean, it's something you have to do proactively, not reactively. And so like you said, like it's, it's an overall culture. So to me, whenever I hear coaches have to do stuff like this, I know you had mentioned this to me the other day as well. It, it just shows me that you, didn't communicate expectations well. You didn't communicate the mm -hmm. problems well. So your reaction was like the atom bomb. Okay, I'm just going to make everyone do burpees and gassers until you're all freaking dead. Whereas if you probably had yep. had better conversations with the players and the staff um, and managed the situations when they happened originally, then you wouldn't have gotten to this point. Um, and that, obviously that's my outside perspective. I don't really know. The details of what went on there, besides the you know, ESPN article mm -hmm. so that I read, but um, to me, like it, it, I think it's hard to separate that conversation of using it as punishment for its mental toughness because, in the context, that's typically why they use it, even if it's they think it's pro mm -hmm. proactive punishment, right? Like this is what we're going to do with training camps: so set the tone, um, maybe do a better job communicating instead of spending your time working out for three hours um, and long term, then then you'll have results from that. Well, and in even more importantly, in uh, in college and football, these, these these kids have already been vetted, right? Like yeah. they got a scholarship or they got drafted. They're on your team because they've been vetted already. Like in high school, maybe it's a little more acceptable because these kids can't be vetted. You're 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 stuck with who you have based off of who's at who goes to school, wherever you coach, um, unless it's a private school, then you can recruit kids. Um, and maybe you want to, maybe you're, you could justify using it as a way to vet out, uh, the kids who didn't whatever train or the kids who are not uh, fit enough for the team. Cause you have to make cuts. But again, like, should it come down to like where you, you, people are potentially dying mm -hmm. and people have died before from heat stroke mm -hmm. and they're getting rhabdo and like, is there a better way? I mean, that's really the question. Is there a better way to evaluate and assess than using uh, gassers? Plus, I mean, Vince Wilfork was the defensive tackle for the Patriots uh, for 10 years, mm -hmm. right? He's 350 pounds, one of the best players of all time. He'll probably, I don't know if he did get in the Hall of Fame, but he probably will go to the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, making him do up downs <laughs> and gassers uh, is, yeah, going to destroy him. That doesn't have any validity on his ability to play football. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the, the physiological and, outcomes and you would, don't have any carry over to football, yeah. like, it especially. Whatsoever. Because they're all endurance-based measures. <laughs> so if you were like, hey, right. 
We're going to well, have and, you run a 15-yard sprint every five minutes. And that, that might actually have a carryover to the yeah. sport. <laughs> right. But it, and it's not just American football, right? And you could make this claim for any sport, like making you do chin-ups until your arms fall off for a soccer player. Uh, is that going to be really helpful in the end? Like, no, probably not. So, uh, and it's funny that when you bring this up, because I'm actually in the midst of our summer football program is coming up and I have to present to our entire coaching staff, uh, my, my plan for strength and conditioning for the summer. And last year we used paying taxes at the end of the practice. So this was not my, uh, my, my wheelhouse. This was not on my docket. This was, um, run by the, not even the head coach, by a couple of the other coaches. So if you showed up late, you paid taxes. If you forgot your mouthpiece, you paid taxes. Like, And at the end, taxes were you bear crawled the entire length of the turf like seven times. You rolled. You had to roll up and down the turf until you basically vomited. Um, and so like I told our head coach, like this, I'm not really cool with this like this is you're actually making everybody worse in my opinion um and you're you're you know train slow be slow like how is this at all helpful for making the athlete uh faster bigger stronger uh and it doesn't make them change behavior like it's if anything we would have been better off like i said having a discussion with them uh telling them why it's important to be on time and then actually taking a privilege away. So adding a punishment yeah. uh, doesn't work like taking away a privilege does. Because it's really easy to be like, yo, no no music in the weight room today. You guys have to work out in silence. All right? So like, I took away a privilege. We're still doing our work. I'm not going to jeopardize or risk anything by taking away music. Or hey, you you got you're out of practice today. You lost the privilege to practice. Hey, you lost your starting position, or you can't start the first quarter on Friday uh, because you just you can't show up on time. I'm I'm going to give that opportunity to somebody who does, and next week you'll have another opportunity to come back and earn it. Uh, that is a much better avenue <laughs> and less risky avenue, in my opinion. Uh, than using exercise as a way to punish somebody. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the only thing worse than having to bear crawl up and down the football field seven times is actually paying real taxes. It's up a hill? No, it's actually paying real taxes in oh. real life. <laughs> um, All right, so here's a question for Wait, you. wait, wait, hold on. Would you Does bear it... crawl yeah. up and down the, the field eight times instead of paying your taxes? Well, it depends how good of a job my accountant did. <laughs> that year um <laughs> oh fair enough um but no i think you make a really good point i think like negative reinforcement as far as uh, a punishment um doesn't work but saying like take away a privilege is a really good idea um especially one that affects the team as a whole hey we're gonna take away the music mm -hmm. or if you're gonna have them do something do something that provides that that contributes to the greater good um as far as like hey you're going to help do this today, clean up the locker rooms, or you're going to go volunteer your time at this organization. Um, yeah. Or, and also half the punishments come from the leaders on your team. Have it come from their peers. One yeah. thing to talk to, if you have a good set of captains and leaders, is say, like, I want you to enforce these, and these are the guidelines for enforcing them. You're not going to haze them and, like, make them run, but talk to your leaders on the team mm -hmm. because they should be the ones that are not violating. Um and have them help enforce because when it comes from peers also, it's different than a coach, especially at the high school level because they see you separately. Whereas if you empower a high school person um, and have them kind of act as leaders and help them enforce, then that becomes um, a little bit closer to them as well. And so I, I love that you said, right. you know, take a privilege away um, is big because uh -huh. it, it's, uh, you're not making them do something extra that they slog through, but you're, they, they we're going to yearn to get back whatever it is that they had. Yeah. So I actually, I spoke with um, our head coach about this year um, using a, almost like a democratic vote. 
so uh, somebody, you know, violates a rule, uh, say they get kicked out of a game. We had three or four kids get kicked out of the game last year and they paid taxes for it, right? Uh, because if you get more than two personal foul penalties in a game, which costs the team yards, field position, also you get kicked out if you get two. And we had three of those last year. So I'm saying... I think we should have a vote, like what should happen, like what should be the well, punishment or the consequence of said action, and we're going to vote on it. So it's not just like you said, me, the head, like the head coach, being like, "This is what you're going to do, and this is why you're going to do it." It's like, hey, myself, your your coaches, and the rest of your peers all voted that. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to play this week. Yeah, and it wasn't just uh, my decision; it was your peers uh, felt the same. Um, and maybe the the head, the captain, say, "No, coach, like we think that they should just have to miss a quarter or half or something." And like, all right, well, I got voted down, so it's a mutual mm-hmm. um, type thing. But again, I I think that works is a much better way to go about it than. I'm just going to run you until you're sick um, and, and hope that makes you change. So yes, I will say sometimes it does make people think twice about showing up late or, but again, like, is it worth the risk? And I'm going to vote. No, it is not worth the risk using exercise as punishment. Yeah. And what you just spoke to is the culture conversation again, right? Like you have a whole team who is on board with, Hey, this is, these are the behaviors that are acceptable. These are the behaviors that are not acceptable. And then this is how we deal with people mm-hmm. when they step outside the line. So, um, a couple kind of books that kind of touch on those things. One is, um, the book on the all blacks, um, is that called legacy, legacy, um, legacy very, by, uh, very good. Um, yeah. they kind of talk about the overall team culture and expectations, right? The whole sweep, the sheds, no dickheads. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another yep. few more good lines in there and then grit by Angela Duckworth as well. Um, grit. talks yep. about the idea of building a grit mindset, even in like kids, it's really good. Cause they talk about the idea, like we've talked about this before, like when your kids, um, are in school to, when you compliment them, don't say like, you're so smart. Um, say, wow, you worked really hard. Have them identify not yep. with their talent, but with the work that they put in to get there. Right. Because the mindset of, Right. You're so the process is, oh, well, I have this skill. Whereas, oh, I found success because I did X um, is, right. is what you want to try to enforce. And like the quote that I like from her is like, just we define grit as perseverance and passion for long-term goals. Grit entails working strenuously towards challenges, maintaining effort and interest over the years, despite failure, adversity, and plateaus in the progress. Um, and so she talks in the book all about, in different contexts in the research that goes into building that grit mindset. And at no point does she say uh, you have to do burpees until you throw up and run gases, surprisingly. <laughs> so um, I hope those yeah. are two book recommendations. Um, even if you're not team-based sports that I think are really, really valuable that can extend from parenting to coaching to pretty much anything that you do. So you, you, re- you reward and recognize the process, not the outcome. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, and that's, uh, I'll add Carol Dweck, uh, Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, uh, similar, fixed versus growth mindset. Uh, I'll also add cultural or c- culture code by Daniel Coyle. Culture code, very, very good book. Uh, I'll save my third and final book for our, when we get to book recommendations. Got it. Um, but I do want to add to that. So I actually, I have two slides in my presentation that I'm going to give to these coaches. And I'm just going to read, I have seven points to make. Uh, So uh, there's two things that I'm going to present to the coaching staff this year uh, that are very opinion-based. And I'm going to try to leave it as an open-ended kind of like, you guys can do this. Uh, Because again, I have to come into the, the coaches meeting, understanding that, these guys have been in football a lot longer than I have. They're older than me. They have a certain, like you said, there's a mindset of what they went through 
in their playing days that this was how punishment was handed down. This is how uh, mindset and mental toughness were built uh, when they played. And a lot of these coaches, again, we did it last year and I was not an advocate for it, but I'm not the head coach. So I don't, I don't get to make that decision. I can just voice my opinion. And I know a lot of people listening to this as the strength and conditioning coach, you are not the head coach. You have to find a way to present your findings or present your opinion without pissing people off. So I have in there I, why we don't back squat, okay? And then why I'd never use conditioning as punishment. Um, and so those are like my big two opinionated pieces after I share the entire program for the summer with everybody. Um, so I'll just share right now the two slides. So the first point that I make... Do you want to screen share? Yeah, I do, actually. Uh I'll screen share. So if anyone's watching, if you're not watching, then... um, Tough shit. (laughs) You'll have to go watch. Uh, Here we go. Can you see my screen? Not yet. Uh, Hold on. Oh. Let me share the... Oh, it says we are unable to, it doesn't even give me the option. So we'll skip that part. Uh, I'll share the oh, slides. No, it's just in coming the, up. Oh, it is. Okay. Hold on. So you can see this slide? Not yet. Hold on. You're going to have to edit this out. No, I don't give a shit. <laughs> they can listen to this. Uh, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Well, we tried. All right. So the two slides, number one is, so conditioning as, as punishment does not address the mistake or provide a solution to learn from the mistake. It's actually, in my opinion, a lazy way to avoid addressing the mistake or the learning opportunity. Okay, so when I just have you do a bunch of up-downs, I don't actually provide a solution to whatever mistake or, or right. We, Hey, you lost the game and you were all uh, really slow and had no enthusiasm. So we're just going to do a bunch of up downs. Like there, there's no learning involved there. Um, so my, I'm going to advocate for learning from the mistake and two, it doesn't work when you make everyone pay for the mistake, the individual, needs to know how to improve or change that mistakes. Because what happens is, is this happens a lot with emails. You send an email out to 30 people about a problem. You remember when we were internship directors? I'll never forget this. Yes. Yes, I do. So this is this is coming from uh, previous experience. When you uh, send an email for a... And somebody violated a rule, but you, you email everybody, but you don't address the individual, the individual doesn't think they did anything wrong and they let it breeze by and the other people who were not the offenders think it was them and they're all, they're worried about it. They're scared about it. They want to change and get better. But the individual who was the offender does not. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is another big issue. When you make everybody else pay for someone else's mistake, those people all think it was them and they're worried and they want to change, but the person, the individual who needs to change does not. I, I clearly remember um, when we were internship directors. I remember the group of interns that we had. And I think it was just the fact that they were like yeah. low energy at the time. I think we were in that midsummer point when everyone starts to get tired, right? And I remember they were like low energy and they weren't really coaching the way we wanted to. And I remember you and I, like, I think we probably, it was like when we were just overworked at that point and we just sent them an email, essentially, being yeah. like, you know, what the fuck type of email to everyone. And unanimously, the people who are great workers and were energetic came up to us and apologized. And, um, the people who weren't <laughs> didn't change and the morale got worse. And I remember having yeah. a conversation with the, one of the individuals who said like, listen, when you sent that, like a bunch of us felt like, like what the hell? I thought I was busting my ass and doing well here. I was like, oh, you are. But they're like, well, that's yeah. not the impression that we got. I, I will always remember that yeah. exact thing because you and I made that mistake <laughs> specifically. Yeah. Well, and that's when you that's when you have individual meetings or you call the three perpetrators into the room and say, hey, you three specifically, you don't do it in front of the group. You don't 
you just bring them in and you say, let's have a discussion about it. Mm -hmm. But I don't make all 10 of them uh, run gassers because the other three didn't do what they were supposed to do or are not doing their job. Um, So that was, that's number two. So, yep. Real quick. And, you know, it's because if you look at it from the coach's perspective, it's much easier to address the group. Having a one-to-one conversation is a very difficult thing to do um, on oh, a lot yeah. of levels. And if you're not okay with having that conversation, it's very easy to just be like, oh, everybody get on the line or to send an email. Um, whereas it's much mm-hmm. more difficult and skillful to bring the individual in and communicate to them where they erred, communicate the expectations and infer a direct uh, consequence to them one way or the other. And so it's just an easy out, yeah. right? And so it speaks to the value of developing communication skills, I think, pretty strong. And and admittedly, you and I were not great managers back then, no. and we were not great communicators. I mean, we're better now. We're not perfect, but we were not great communicators back then. Absolutely not. And we, we learned from that mistake, and we never did it again. Um, my third point to everybody is that remember all the times that you, when you were growing up and you had to do up-downs, what, what were you thinking? We we're all thinking the same thing. This is stupid. This is pointless. This is actually somebody else's fault. And you resent, you resent that individual and you resent the coach. So is that what you want? Is that what you want is that your athletes resent you and that the athletes resent the, the individual who actually made the mistake or jumped off sides or whatever had the penalty or the foul, right? You don't like that's If you're a good coach, you do not want that resentment. Um, but, and, and just put yourself in their shoes. Like we all did it when we were younger. And I know exactly what I was thinking when I'll never forget. We had to do 66 up downs one time, mm-hmm. uh, because somebody jumped off sides because there were 66 kids on the team. So we did 66 up downs, one per person because one person jumped off sides. I like that. That makes no sense to me. Like that's, yeah. this is the dumbest. Why are we wasting our time? And all we did was get super, super tired and exhausted before we had to go practice that day. So practice was a complete waste of time because everyone was so tired from doing 66 up downs in their football pads. I had blood everywhere, my elbows, my knees. Cause we did it in a, in a mud pile basically and with rocks in it. Um, because yeah, that makes us tougher and makes us jump offside less, uh, yep. supposedly. So I remember I'm going to try to placate to the coaches. <laughs> Everyone's got a story, and I'm going to try to placate to that. I remember in high school we had a kid on our team who was like really talented, but he was legitimately always in trouble, mm-hmm. like always in trouble, like barely eligible. Um, and he had <laughs> in the parking lot. He had stole speakers out of somebody's car. <laughs> and so oh, got man. Caught. the coach made us, we had to do 150 up downs and he was in the middle. We were in a big circle on the field and he had to go in the yep. middle and do them. And we would have to yell the number and then yell his name <laughs> at the top at the, and then do 150 straight. And I remember just being like so pissed off at the coach. And we eventually kicked him off yeah. the team anyways. So it didn't really matter. Um, yeah. And then we went on to lose like the rest of the games. <laughs> it just ruins morale. But well, it's I, like I such mean, a pervasive thing so, in football that everybody has an experience. Yeah. It, and shame, right? So shame is a form of it will make people change. But there's a, again, there's a better way to do it um, without shaming them in front of everybody. Um, And again, did that kid change? Maybe, maybe not. And he ended up being, I mean, exactly. Did not change. And he got, he left, he got kicked off the team anyway. So why not terminate him right from the start? Like why make everybody else like really what should have happened is that, Hey, you can't be stealing stuff. You're, terminated from the team or you're going to have to miss the next four games or you can come to practice, but uh, I, you may never play uh, and yeah. you're going to have to earn my respect and your teammates respect back. But making everybody suffer like that, just, it makes, it does not make sense to me in a long term. If you're trying to play the long term game. Yeah. Uh, 
my other there's so there's four more we already spoke about these kind of my my points so what works better is to take privilege away and make them earn it back so i.e music in the weight room practice and playing time your starting position uh where you are on the depth chart even better is making the fender the offender apologize to their teammates and articulate what they did wrong so that you hold them socially accountable and like if the coaches don't even need to be in the room like say hey listen uh and i would have loved to have that happen after those kids got kicked out of the game like i get it emotions run high stuff's gonna happen you got kicked out okay so we can't change that but I would have liked you to, before you come back to practice, you have to stand in front of the team, apologize for your mistake, say it's not going to happen again, and show us show us that you can be accountable and, and you can respect uh, everybody else's work that they're putting in and their time that they're, they're putting in to try to win a football game. Um, I feel like that would be much better than making them run 100, 100 times up and down the turf or roll and bear crawl. Um, I would certainly the hope so. last two are at the very least, at the very least, if they don't agree with this and they think that it's beneficial and they're going to do it, like I can't stop them. Okay. That, that's not my call. That's the head coach's call at the very least. Don't do it because it makes them slower and is defeating the purpose of everything that we're trying to do in the gym, which is bigger, faster, stronger. When you do that and you just try to crush somebody with conditioning, you right, train slow, be slow. So at the very least, don't do it because you're actually you're not making them perform better. <laughs> um, and then job. my final plead, which is your number one job. And my final my final pleading is that if you are going to use it, only do it at the end of practice. Don't use it at the beginning because it will jeopardize the entire practice and the learning process. So at least, thank God, they did paying taxes at the end of practice. But uh, those are my two. Those are my seven points that I'm going to make. I'm going to leave it open-ended. I'm happy to answer questions for any of the coaches. They can agree or disagree with me. Um, but this is where I'm coming from. This is what I think is going to be best for the team and best from a strength and conditioning standpoint. Um, and we can just do a better job than using conditioning as punishment. Yeah. And at the very least, especially at the high school and college level where this happens the most is like someone's entrusting their kids with you. And so mm -hmm. you have to realize like you're responsible for, in your case, what, I don't know how many kids are on your football team. It's like probably 80, 80, 80 to 110. You're depending. responsible for 80 kids, right? And college, a collegiate football science, like a hundred kids. And so, you know, those parents are sending those kids to you with the uh, belief that you're going to look out for their best interests. And you're not doing that if you're putting them in the way of physical harm. And if you talk well, to somebody and the, later, the Rabdo case. Yeah. It's a perfect example. Yeah. And if you talk to somebody later in life, they never say like, oh, I changed because I remember that time I had to do that hard thing and my whole mindset changed. It was <laughs> like, oh, I realized that my behavior was not acceptable uh, within the culture or the environment that I lived in. So I was forced to change um, and, and see a different right. way to do things. And so, again, it's about doing the next right thing, even if it's the hard thing. And that includes the coaches because if the coaches do that, then – it reflects downfield because they look for the easy out the athlete for the easy out. So um, I think it's a really important discussion. I don't know if this, uh, the ripple effect from this conversation, hopefully will extend to some coaches um, and change some mindsets. Um, if not, um, yeah, this is just a good conversation regardless. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Everybody has the right to change their mind or not change your mind after new information has been brought to you or a new mindset. Um, again, I, maybe some of the coaches somehow convince me that it is worth doing it. I, I mean, I don't see it happening, but I'm going to be open to the discussion, uh, with all the coaches. Cause there's, there's 15 coaches. So, uh, and there's one of me, I need their help. So I, I need to also be open to what they have to say. That's, that was really good. I'm glad that uh, we jumped on this uh, current event. 
because yeah. uh, I think it's an important discussion because also I think for the lay person thinks about strength and conditioning, they think that, that we do something like that. Like, have you ever seen that old meme that was like, what I, what my friends think I do, what my parents think I do, <laughs> yeah. um, what my boss thinks I, uh, I do. And like, I think the average person, and then, they probably think of you yelling and blowing a whistle and saying, pay your taxes, uh, boys. And <laughs> whereas like, you don't do any of those things. But that's probably the perception no. of strength conditioning uh, to the average layperson looking in. So it's important that we change in, that. In, at least in American football. Yeah, in American mm-hmm. football. Um, so, but and that brings me to my book recommendation, which is, it's called The New Toughness Training for Sports by James Lohr. And... It's the subtitle is mental, emotional, and physical conditioning from one of the world's premier sports psychologists. So the new toughness training for sports. Now it's not new. It's a, uh, I don't even know when it was written, but it's an older book. I actually have it in paper, uh, but I couldn't find it. It's somewhere in one of these thousands of books we have here at the house. Um, But what I liked about it the most is he goes into the psychology of everything we just spoke about, but then the entire second half of the book is just uh, case scenarios. So athlete does X, Y, Z. This is how we addressed it. And he was a, he was the coach of multiple Olympic champions, multiple sports teams. Um, So he does it with both the individual um, and team perspective all case scenarios, what he did and ended up doing. Um, so it, it was very, very well done. So that's mental. T- the new, well, I guess it's the old, <laughs> new toughness training for sports by James Lore. Perfect. What do you got? Um, well, I was going to do one book, but then I think it's good for us to stay on the topic. Um, and I would say the number one thing people should read if they haven't read it is Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. It's probably one of the best books Mm. that there is just uh, for anybody. Um, and for those of you that haven't read it, which I'm sure there's some of you listening that haven't, Victor Frankl, uh, is a psychology professor and he endured probably the worst thing anybody can endure and that he was sent into a concentration camp during World War II. And he writes about his experiences there, seeing his friends and family die, um, seeing everyone around him waste away, assuming that he's going to die, and how he mentally uh, adjusted his framework to get through that experience, and how he would change where he was mentally or put things in perspective regarding where he was uh, in the concentration camps and how he created mental exercises to essentially get through that. And, I mean, he wrote the book, so he got through it, thankfully, um, and, and kind of documented the entire experience. And it is, this is one of those books you reread like every year um, for perspective, or like if oh, yeah. you're kind of feeling sorry for yourself, this is one that I'll pick up even just and read a few pages and you'll be like, oh, okay, things are better. So um, I'll save the other book recommendation because I just want to put an exclamation point on how I think valuable uh, this book is as a resource. So. Man's Search for Meaning by Victor yes. Frankl. Yes, it's a it is a it is amazing book and a bit of a tearjerker, but it also puts you yeah, your entire life in perspective. Yeah. Um, all right, what do we what do we got coming up? I'm in LA in May 22nd. That's that's what I've got coming up here, uh, and I'll be. Uh, traveling back to Boston in late June. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of events coming up. We've been adding a bunch of events to CFSC calendar. I have read a Netherlands uh, this weekend. I don't assume anyone listening to this is going to end up there, but we have Wyckoff, New Jersey, May 7th, <laughs> LA with you, May 22nd, Toronto, May 27th, 28th and 29th. That's a level one, level two combo. Uh, weekend. Then we have nice. uh, June 3rd, 4th, and 5th, Level 1, Level 2 in Philadelphia, Cincinnati, June 25th, Woburn just added today in at MBSC, July 8th, 9th, and 10th, Level 1, Level 2 combo. Then Georgia and Chicago, 
level one, level two, San Francisco, New York City. We have a bunch that are going to be added. So we have a, a whole row of live events coming. Um, so definitely, if you are looking to sign up for CFSC, we have probably have one in your area. If you look at the map, there's their Midwest, West Coast, East Coast um, over the next few months. Canada. Canada. I have another one in Canada, hopefully in the fall. So uh, keep your eyes peeled. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that wraps it up. 59 minutes. We're on, we're always on the dock. Clockwork. Clockwork. Great success. Oh, very good. I know we have another one lined up this week with uh, Noel um, son over yep. at uh, Breda. So hopefully we'll get a, uh, we'll get them on as guests in the next couple of days. So hopefully if you're listening here, this will come out. We'll get this out uh, starting next week, uh, maybe on Monday. Um, just got to get back on a schedule and then, Maybe we'll do a bonus one uh, with the interview with them at the end of the week, and then we'll get back to the Wednesday routine. Let's go. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone.